1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
2: Well, it is the Paul I Show, and we are rolling along here. We went from the NBA to... Uh... The NHL, and when we talk NHL, we like to go to our good friend Bob Grove, who's forgotten more about the NHL than most people will probably ever know. How are you doing tonight, Bob? I'm
3: great, Paul. hope you're well.
2: I am very well. Um, Now, you've gotten a chance now to digest the Cal Dubas news and the fact that he is coming as the president of hockey operations, which likely means he is um, pretty much in charge uh, well, first of all, what are your thoughts of the, of the Penguins hiring him? And, you know, do you, do you think that we will see some uh, very tangible changes uh, over the next three months before the season begins?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, he's, if you think about the Penguins' search, it went on for uh, quite a number, quite a while, actually. And as you as you know, Paul, they interviewed a lot of folks. And uh, I think if you look at the you know the cast of characters who are out there looking for GM spots here in the off season, Kyle Dubas would be at the top of pretty much everybody's list. You know, he's been an NHL general manager for five years. Um, and the, the Leafs team he built uh, was one of the best regular season teams in, during those five years. Only four teams won more games. I mean, what, he, you know, what he struggled with, obviously, was putting together a team that could win in the playoffs. And that's, that's something he has to take. You know, that's a learning that he has to take from that Leafs job. Um, so he's a great candidate. He's very well-spoken. He's obviously an intelligent guy. Um, he's he's as we all know, you know, has been talked about a lot. You know, he's he's into the analytical uh, areas of hockey, and has been for some time. You know, he's had success um, as an assistant general manager overseeing the Marlies, and they went on to, to win a championship. And um, you know, he's been a high achiever throughout his career, whether as a player agent or in management or whatever. I mean, my God, he's only about eight months older than Evgeny Malkin, and here he is, you know, in his second job as a GM. And he's got more power here in Pittsburgh than he had in Toronto, and that's something he, I think he obviously wanted. He's here for the long term. And, yeah, there are going to be a ton of change. There has to be. No matter who gets hired, there has to be a lot of changes for the Penguins because of the cast they have now um, just obviously can't even get in the playoffs, let alone start thinking about making a long run at the playoffs. So it's going to be a really, really intriguing summer to watch him, uh, watch him learn. He's going to have to learn very quickly what he's got, what he doesn't have, and what he can do. So I think we're all kind of um, anxious to see how it works out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, the biggest uh, criticism of him, uh, Bob, and we're talking with Bob Grove, the biggest criticism is that the the Maple Leafs didn't win a, a championship. But I feel like he put together a team that is going to be really good for the next two or three or four years, really. And they were pretty good this year, actually probably good enough to win it. They just didn't. Um, isn't that really all you can ask from a general manager is to put together a team that gives you a chance to win it?
4: Yeah, I mean,
3: that is absolutely it. You know, you, you know, your GM obviously has to work with pretty closely with your coach and making sure that you can figure out like, how, the, how does the coach see this group play and what's missing from his standpoint and et cetera, et cetera, which he did with Sheldon Keith, And those two have been together a long time, you know, the current uh, Leafs coach, um, you know, when we say put together, let's remember some of the pieces that the Leafs have had, you know, here um, and as part of this team right now were there when he got there. Um, but they're guys that needed bigger contracts, and he signed them, you know, and then he went out and got Tavares, and he went out this year at the deadline and made a number of moves and got some guys that helped him. So, yeah, I mean, in general, that's that's the ask is to give the coach the players he thinks he can win with. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is when you have as much regular season success as the Leafs have had in his term as uh, GM for five years, you would expect more than one playoff round victory. Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, that's a fair criticism. I mean, they just didn't, didn't get it done. And it's been different things, different years. I mean, you can say, look, they didn't have the goaltending and at, at any really, they didn't have a kind of a dominant presence in goal. Um, and that's something, I mean, look, he went out last summer and got, um, you know, and, and and when he looked at looked at what was needed, he went out and got Matt Murray, and I think a lot of us in Pittsburgh looked at that kind of sideways and thought, hmm, that's an interesting call, and it didn't work out. Um, and I think the Leafs will probably try to move on from him now. But um, you know, again, he's he's really early in his management career as an NHL general manager. And again, I think the important thing is what has he learned from his time in Toronto, and it's not the same market as Pittsburgh. Um, he doesn't have exactly as we just said. I mean, he's got, he's got more power here than he had there. So, um, And he's got some things here in Pittsburgh today that he didn't have um, in Toronto. You know, and you look at the legacy of the, the cup winners that are, that are sitting on his roster right now. So, and, and I actually think what what he needs is the, what the Penguins need is to build up the cast around him. Yes, they've got goaltending questions, and as I just said, that's not—I don't think that's been a forte of his. Is figuring out the goaltending piece, but he's got to do that. But the big thing for the Penguins is how do you surround the core players here in Pittsburgh with a better supporting cast, and that's where his analytics background really, really should help him and his experience.
2: Well, I will say this, um, Bob. I'm going to, you know, give you Cal Dubas' job for a few minutes here. What do you think is the first item of business he should attack?
3: It's the goaltending question. You know, does he like Tristan Jari? Does he believe Tristan is the guy that can take this team where it needs to go? Um, and if the answer is yes, then okay, now he have gotta worry not worry, but now you've got to negotiate a contract. there have been some reports that Jari's looking for a longer term contract. I don't know if that's in the cards for him in Pittsburgh right now. know we don't really know we we know how Sullivan feels about Jari but we also know Jari hasn't been able to be to stay healthy and I don't think anyone um you know anyone really looks at Casey DeSmith and says well you know what about him as a number one I don't think that's uh, something you can look at either I mean I think Casey DeSmith has established himself as a pretty good backup goalie in the NHL and that's what his role is right now um he had a great world championships by the way um so the goaltending question is the biggest one for me. I mean we just talked about Yep supporting cast, but he's got to figure that out and you know and I'd say the second thing would be what what is the how does he how does he add to the defense? splash? how does he reconstruct the third and fourth lines? That would be, you know, the next thing. So we're talking about the depth questions, <clears throat> but there's other things. I mean Zucker. Zucker had a fantastic season. Can you resign him? Do you want to resign him? What about Jake Gensel? Jake Gensel's due for an extension. Now's the time that you're going to sign him. Are, are, you know, is there an interest in signing him to a long-term deal? It's going to cost, him. It's going to cost you more than the $6 million you're paying him now. So these are, the, for me, the biggest questions that he's got to face.
2: Well, and, and I would say this. You know, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not the Penguins should be um, willing to perhaps even break up You know, the first two lines in order to in, in, in you know trade for maybe a couple of guys that can make them deeper, that would mean trading somebody like a Raquel. That would mean trading somebody like a Gensel, and you know you know hoping that Crosby and Malkin are good enough that whoever their replacements are, that they're going to uh, be able to replicate that kind of production from those guys. What are your thoughts on that? Or do you, do you, do you believe that that's something the Penguins have to do to get better?
3: Oh well, look, I like Raquel and I and I like Gensel a lot, you know. I mean Raquel is signed, you know. You, you've got him down. You're paying him five million dollars for the next four, se- five seasons after this. Um, could you trade Raquel and get two really good pieces that make you a deeper team? The, you know, bringing in some guys who are going to make a difference for you. I'm not so sure. You might be able to do it with Jake Gensel, but let me ask the question. He's a perennial 40-goal scorer, and he loves and he loves playing with Sid, and Sid loves playing with Gensel. Those two, you know, we don't need to talk about what they've done together. We know how good they've been. We know that Gensel is not only basically a 40-goal man almost every season. He had 36 this year. He's a proven playoff guy. Now, I mean, look, look at what he's done in the playoffs. Think back to the 2017 season, his first season in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He was incredible. Why would you trade that guy? And, and how is Sidney Crosby going to feel about that? And, and trust me, that, these are things you got to think about. Um, and so, was, you know, is Gensel the only guy? I mean, you know, you, these guys don't grow on trees that score like Gensel does. And if you're going to get rid about, of them, I'm fine. Bob, and you're Bob. going to bring other guys in. Who, who's going to do, who's going to score the goals?
2: Right, Bob. What about the theory that some people are flooding out there that anybody playing with Crosby is going to score goals? Do you buy that?
3: Oh uh, well, not, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, it's a,
3: it's we've seen Sid tried with uh, we've seen Sid tried with players where it really doesn't work out, and we just like we saw Mario try with players. But it's just not that simple. If it was that simple, literally anybody could go there. I mean, Jake Gensel is a natural goal scorer. This guy has an instinct around the net and with a puck on his stick in the offensive zone that is just – it's special. It's just not normal. There are other guys who can score at his level, but they're very few and far between. So – and this is not to say, look, if you trade Gensel, okay. I mean, you find somebody else, you plug somebody else in on the wing there. And and you've got somebody else, but uh, to to help you in other areas of your lineup. But again, I just I want to see how you can make up for the goals that you're going to miss with him because he's he's just he's 28 years old. He's really in his prime right now, Paul. So um, I think you'd be very that you you'd better be very very careful if you're going to think about trading a guy like him.
2: Yeah, I I I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, all these people that just basically say, well, anybody that plays with Sidney Crosby. Is going to be a star. I, I think they've got selective uh, uh, memory because Sidney Crosby has made it clear over the course of time that there are certain guys he wants to play with. It's you know that that sort of play at the tempo he wants to play with. But there are other guys that he just does, you know that, that that can't really keep up with him or can't play with him that he doesn't do well with. So uh, I don't think it's that simple.
3: Right. I mean, we know. How, look how well he played with the Pui and Kunitz. Right. Um, you know, those guys weren't perennial forty goal scorers. And you know, and, and, and the Penguins won with them and I get it. So there's the thing, they they won with them, but this this is a special chemistry these two guys have, and I think I think you can make changes elsewhere and you can keep Jake Gensel, but again, we gotta see how Dubas feels about it. Um and how and you, again he has to keep take into consideration how Crosby's gonna feel about it as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing. If you look at the Penguins, uh, Bob, and you already talked about the fact that they need to address the goaltending and, and maybe their top six. Um, I'm of the belief that they need at least one more defenseman. Would you agree with that?
3: No, absolutely. I mean, you know, you've got Dumoulin going, and it doesn't look like, you know, it just doesn't seem like he's going to be back. Um, as you look at that, I mean, one of the questions you got to wonder about is um, – God, like, where does Ty Smith fit in? You know, they made this deal for Marino, which to this point has been all in New Jersey's favor. And you get Ty Smith, who for various reasons—look, I don't think he was—he wasn't lighting it up in the AHL. In his brief time here, he was okay, uh, but he also wasn't able to be here because of problems with the salary cap. Or he might have been here, and it might have been a different kind of a season for him. But you got to—you got to figure out what do you have in Ty Smith. And, and, and then you got to think about uh, POJ, you know, uh, Joseph. Is he – you can re-sign him right now. What did you think of his first year as a National Hockey League player? I thought he tailed off at the end of it. Uh, you know, I liked him through the first half. I didn't think he was quite as good in the second half of the season. Um, but he is a younger guy who can skate. And is he – you know, what's his future with the team? And, you know, and Petrie was so-so. And you got to pay him over $6 million for two more years. Is that somewhere where you can make an adjustment. Um, because you just don't have prospects that are ready to come up and supplant any of these guys. So there's no question the Penguins need some additions on defense.
2: No question about it. Bob, I appreciate it. I know you're very, very busy. I appreciate you jumping on and ju- you know, talking some Penguins with us. And, of course, we'll do it again soon.
3: All right, Paul, thank you.
2: All right, brother. That is Bob Grove. I'm Paul's latest 93.7 The Fan.
0: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: I was actually just talking to Joel about this. Joel, the Big Ten has decided they're going to do, uh, they're going to protect rivalries, so to speak, from the standpoint of, you know, they're going to go, they're going to get rid of their divisions, but they're going to make sure that certain teams play each other every single year. Were you surprised? And as a Penn State guy, were you, you know, irritated a little bit that there wasn't one game that was protected on the – you know in terms of, you know, this is a rivalry on the Penn State schedule?
5: I was surprised, and, and especially when you consider that every – Big Ten team other than Penn State had at least one game protected every other Big Ten team is part of a protected rivalry or or whatever a game that's going to be played annually but Penn State was not on there it's it's a little frustrating because Penn State is of course pretty big uh, you know in the Big Ten and one of the more successful football teams had a good basketball season and um, you would, you would think, and with Penn State's tradition of football for a number of years, you would think that Penn State most certainly would have a protected game every single year. Yeah, I mean,
2: but to me, here's the thing. If you're the, cons- if you're the conference, why wouldn't you want every team to have at least one? Every team to have at least one rivalry that exactly. every single year they play them home and home, you can bank on it 10, 15 years down the road. even I mean, obviously, I think Penn State, Michigan State is what it is. is the land-grant trophy. To me, it, it, it tells me that Ohio State basically said to the Big Ten, we don't want to have to play Michigan and Penn State every single year. But Penn State, Ohio State should be played every year. Forget about Penn State, Michigan, or even Michigan State. Penn State, Ohio State should be played every single year. Would you agree with that?
5: It absolutely should. And, I mean, Ohio State basically beats Penn State every single time. So you would think that Ohio State might want Penn State on their schedule every year right. with uh, with their success rate against the Nittany Lions. But, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it. It's it's kind of brutal. And, and you would hope that Penn State gets at least one of Ohio State. Or Michigan if not both every single year getting at least one of them because you kind of need to if you're going to make the college football playoff you need some good wins and it's it's hard to find good opponents when you're not going to have if you know if they're not going to have one of Ohio State of Michigan on the schedule who knows how strong their conference is when it comes to
2: but here's my opponents. thing here's my thing it's not going to happen But realistically, Penn State could have a a Big Ten schedule that doesn't include Michigan, Michigan State, or Ohio State. That would make absolutely no sense. I know that they've had this, like, weird kind of thing with Iowa. But you as a Penn State fan, do you get really all that excited about Iowa? If I told you Penn State, Michigan State, Penn State, Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State, or Penn State, Iowa, you probably would tell me that Iowa's fourth in that group, right?
5: Yeah, absolutely. It's... it's not as entertaining as the other ones when Penn State is competitive with Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State.
2: And here's the other thing. Why does Iowa have three games? Minnesota, Wisconsin. I mean, have you ever thought of, like, Iowa-Wisconsin as, like, some big rivalry game? Other than the fact that they have been the two best teams sort of in the in the uh, Big Ten West. Other than that, do you really see Iowa Wisconsin as some sort of rivalry game that needs to be protected?
5: If it's some sort of, you know, <laughs> first to twenty wins, but you would think that and I, unless they've got I mean I get unless Iowa they've to, got deep roots yeah. with like a rivalry or something. We you know like Minnesota and Wisconsin's a really big one. Uh, you know, if Iowa's got rivalry big time rivalries with those other three schools, then I can I can understand that. But at the same time, Iowa getting three protected games, Penn State getting none can be a little bit frustrating.
2: Yes. Did you know that the uh, Wisconsin-Iowa game was actually called the Bronze Bowl game? Did you know that? I knew there was some sort of robbery. Didn't know the name to it. B-U-L-L, not B-O-W-L. Bronze Bowl trophy is what that game is, and that's why they have – Now, listen, Nebraska-Iowa, I get. Nebraska, Iowa, because they're neighboring states, you know what I mean, and they're very similar states. Absolutely, and quite frankly, if Iowa happens to have a few guys that are Division One players coming out of high school, Nebraska is always going to come into uh, Iowa to get them. But for the most part, but Wisconsin, Iowa, I, I'm sorry, I just, and, and the other one I don't get is Iowa, Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota. Did you know that that was a big rivalry?
5: I think I kind of knew, but you would think that Penn State playing one of Ohio State, Michigan or Michigan State would be a more intriguing matchup to I will give you wait.
2: I will give you $300 if you can right now name the trophy that the winner of the Minnesota Iowa game gets.
5: I thought it was named after. Oh, is that's not the Paul Bunyan game, is it? No, that's Minnesota and Wisconsin. Wisconsin.
2: Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure then. The only I could have offered you three hundred thousand. The Floyd of Rosedale Trophy. Nope, never would have, never (laughs) would have guessed that. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so some some of the other ones. Minnesota, Wisconsin is the Paul Bunyan trophy. Absolutely needs to be
5: kept. Needs to stay. Right.
2: Michigan, Ohio State, you'd agree, right? Michigan, Michigan State.
5: That's the best football rivalry in all of college football, so yes.
2: The other one, and this sounds really strange, talking about the Big Ten.
5: Is this the Rutgers game?
2: UCLA-USC.
5: Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah, that is weird, though. Big Ten. Yeah.
2: We we need to continue that one, right? Indiana-Purdue. I'm okay with that one, too.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Right? That's the one on the schedule that both teams look forward to at the end of the season. It's a look-ahead game.
2: Similar, Illinois-Northwestern. That's a huge game in in, in Illinois, right? I get it. Okay, but (laughs) Maryland-Rutgers.
5: That doesn't cut it.
2: I mean, what are we talking about? How many times, this is incredible, I'm reading this right now. How many times since 1920? Have Maryland and Rutgers played each other? 1920, which is what? 103 years. How many times have they played each other?
5: It's got to be less than 20 times, right?
2: 13 times.
5: Yeah. And and both of them, they're the two, you know, two of the newer Big Ten teams. It's not like they've been Big Ten rivals for a very long time. <laughs> they're each in different conferences until, you know, joining the Big Ten, maybe just over a decade ago, whatever.
2: From 1920 until 2007 how many times did they play each other
5: oh man it's got to be it's obviously less than 10 i'll say 4
2: well they played a total of 13 times ever from 1920 to 2007 they played 1 time
5: <laughs> that's unbelievable
2: yes and then they, they they joined the big 10 in 2014 so they've played every year since then Maryland 6 and 3 in those conference games. I just don't understand this. What uh, I mean, I'm trying not to be cynical, but is it literally basically a game that is designed so that one of those two teams at least has one year one win every year? I'm not trying to be cynical. I'm I'm being serious. Is that the reason that that rivalry exists? Because honestly, Maryland-Penn State or Rutgers-Penn State is a better rivalry, quote-unquote. Quote-unquote rivalry, Than Rutgers-Maryland. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, you're a Penn State guy.
5: Yeah, I would say so.
2: I mean, Rutgers wants so badly to be Penn State's rival, but they just aren't. But my point is, Penn State and Rutgers have played each other a hell of a lot more than this. Yes. And Penn State-Maryland, it seemingly, they've probably played each other more than this as well. Yes, I would think so. Especially, you know, when they were all independents back in the 70s and the 60s. I bet you they played each other a lot. College Park, Maryland, and State College is what? two and a half two and a half hours, maybe?
5: Yeah, something like that. Three hours, yeah.
2: And Piscataway, New Jersey, and Penn State is probably two and a half, right? Two yeah. and a half hours away?
5: Good drivable distance.
2: I mean, I know it would piss Penn State fans off, but... I would rather see Penn State Rutgers or Penn State Maryland than Rutgers Maryland.
5: Yeah, probably. I'm just saying. You get at least one of the Big Ten powerhouses on that list, with that being Penn State, because when you think Rutgers and Maryland, they're not exactly powerhouse teams like Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, and and sometimes Michigan State. And even Iowa, since the Western Conference is –
2: I think Ohio State should play Penn State every year. I just do.
5: It it should be that, yeah.
2: I think beyond, be, behind Michigan-Ohio State, Penn State-Ohio State, Ohio State is, an, is the second best game every year in the Big Ten. I just believe that. Would you agree with that?
5: I would absolutely agree. I mean, if you yeah. think
2: about it, I mean, even when Penn State's been down, most of those games are really close. And they're played well. And, and those are the two best teams in the conference. I bet you the conference listened to Ohio State and they said, basically, listen, if we we'll, if we have to play Michigan and Penn State every year, there's a good chance we might not make it to the Big Ten championship game. And if Penn State has to play us every year, along with Michigan, there's a chance what it's doing now, basically, and this just goes to show that money really, really just basically – Uh, dictates everything and and, and exposure and all that stuff. With Ohio State only having to play Michigan and Penn State having to play none of them. Now, we'll see year to year, but my point is there's a good chance we could see Penn State, Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. That would be pretty
5: darn cool, don't you think? I think, I
2: mean, I think the Big Ten would love that, wouldn't they? Where every
5: single year it seems like Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State Always have a better conference record, despite playing each other. Have a better conference record than whoever wins the Western Division. You know, right? So,
2: here's the thing about USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten. UCLA schedule in 2024. Um, so they they play at Hawaii, which okay, that's a, not a bad game for UCLA. And then they play home against Fresno State. Okay, it's a home game.
5: They should start off
2: 2-0. Then they play at LSU, which is a long flight to go get your ass kicked, basically, I think. But then they this is their Big Ten schedule. Are you ready for this? Let's hear it. How does this make sense Let's hear it. for UCLA? At Indiana, at Iowa, at Michigan, at Rutgers.
5: Those aren't, like, four <laughs> consecutive games, are they?
2: No, no, no. I'm, I'm just okay. saying that's their road games. Their home games. Okay, they get a home game against USC. Fine. They get Minnesota. How many people are going to be at the Minnesota at UCLA game? How many people in that in, in the stands for that game? 20,000? 20, 25,000 maybe?
5: I guess so, with the majority being UCLA fans.
2: They're at home against Nebraska. Nebraska will bring up a lot of, fl- of fans. Okay, fine, but still. They're at home against – are you ready for this? They're at home against Northwestern. 15,000 for that game, 18,000 maybe. Some sort of like 30-7 to
5: game that UCLA wins.
2: And then they play at home against Ohio State. Ohio State will bring a lot of fans, and they play USC. But still, how many people are going to be at the UCLA at Rutgers game? I don't know. How many? I don't know. How about worse UCLA at Indiana. I mean,
5: it's 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 weird, isn't it? You know?
2: I just I mean, my point is I understand why these conferences have expanded, but it doesn't make a lot of sense for the Big 10 to take on USC and UCLA when I think neither of them are going to really enhance the Big 10 from an attendance standpoint and everything else. USC obviously a is a brand name football team and UCLA is a brand name basketball team but i just look at these like road games and i wonder how many people are going to be at these games
5: i wonder i'm wondering if you know the big 10 is is not very worried about like those kind of games where they're playing indiana northwestern illinois when it means that you'll get these UC, usc and ohio state games or whenever usc and ucla Take on teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State. Maybe that you know the fact that you can get those two teams getting to play Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. Uh, you know, getting USC and UCLA, UCLA to play just those four opponents, right? And the all the other all the other games are not going to be kind of as meaningful. It, you get you put together. USC and Ohio State. That sounds pretty darn good, doesn't it, from both a football and a basketball perspective. And just think about the TV ratings. Right. You would think that they'll get enough, you know, maybe ratings or money, all that kind of stuff um, from just those, those four opponents alone with USC and UCLA getting Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State.
2: Well, I mean, again, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, in in twenty twenty four, do you know who Penn State plays?
5: I haven't fully taken a look at their. I'm schedule just
2: saying, yet. like their their uh, their 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 Big Ten schedule. Hang on, real quick. Let me just look at it real quick here. Um, here we go. I just want to see their Big Ten schedule. So they're at West Virginia. They play Bowling Green. They play Kent. They're at Indiana. They play Michigan State, Nebraska, Northwestern. You know, they play Michigan State and they play Ohio State. So, even though they're not quote-unquote rivalry games, they get two of their biggest games. They don't get Michigan that year, but they get, they do get USC at Beaver Stadium. That should be interesting.
5: I think I think it's good for Penn State to at least have two of Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan right. State. If we can land at least two of those games every year – that's excellent. Now you add in USC, UCLA. Yeah, it, I like it.
2: Yes, and they play USC at Beaver Stadium. That's interesting. Is
5: that a – does it list that
2: as a night game? Not yet. I mean, it's okay. – yeah, t- you well, know what I mean? But we're, we're that, I'm sure that'll a be a night
5: game, right? You would think so. I'm sure
2: that'll be a night game. Anyway, we've, we're way over. we got to get to a break. It's 93-7 The Fan. That, that is an interesting conversation we just had uh, about the uh, Big Ten and the fact that uh, they're trying to do their the, the rivalry thing. I don't know. I don't know if that's the, the the best way to go about things, but I understand why they want to do it. I just don't understand why Iowa gets three rivalries and Penn State gets none. At any rate, let's talk to our good friend from the Post Gazette, Chris Carter, and of course. Uh, Chris, I don't know, I mean, I'm sure you didn't hear the conversation, but we were talking about these mega conferences in college football now that are trying to come up with ways to make sure that, the, you know, the teams they want to play each other, play each other every single day. Did you find it strange that the Big Ten couldn't figure out one single uh, uh, a rivalry for Penn State? Yeah, that is weird. Like, I, I get it that there's uh, – uh,
4: you know that there's there's concerns there and there's 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 stuff that gets in the way. But like I just I think you have gotta find ways to get rivals. I mean I've been saying this for a while. When the ACC is supposedly going to be kaput and West Virginia is in trouble, I think that there should be a conference out there that would want to gobble up both West Virginia and it. And I've, I've I've also said this for a little bit now. I think that when all is said and, t- and done, and the Big Ten is the is the version of it that it's going to be in the future when everyone's trying to just make sure at their conference is the conference. Uh, and It's really everyone versus the SEC. I, I think it would behoove the big 10 to look at schools like Pitt and West Virginia. Now West Virginia has academic standards that would, you know, probably be calling the question from what I understand uh, as far as like their, their GPAs and stuff. But as far as, you know, competitiveness, I, I think that you'd, you'd find that in there. Yeah. They they would be, you know, one of the lower teams there, uh, you know, in football, but in basketball they've been competitive. Uh, and I think that, uh, you bring Pitt and West Virginia in, they play each other, and then you get Penn State a rival uh, in that equation. So I know that there's, all, there's a lot of things that would get in the way of this, but I'm talking like if, if college sports are really going to get crazy with realignment, people need to start finding those rivalries and start building. And like you said, Iowa, eh, I guess for its region, it's 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 pretty big, and I'm sure there's a lot of money that gets made there. But Penn State, there's a lot of money there, and I know Penn State fans love to, you know, talk you know, talk smack about Pitt and talk smack about other schools. But at the end of the day, it, you you need to start lining up paydays and rivalries. I, I think drive that more than beating up on Rutgers.
2: No question about it. As I said to Joel, it's absurd that. Iowa gets Iowa gets three rivalry games, and Penn State has zero. That makes no sense to me at all. I agree. Uh, Chris, obviously you cover Pitt. Um, they've had quite the boom over the last two weekends where they've had, I, I want to say the total is about eight or nine commitments. Um, I, mean, I think it's nine now the last two weeks. Yep. Yeah, nine over the last two weeks. Would you say, is it safe to say at this point that Pat Narduzzi has that program, you know, really kind of rolling right now?
4: No, it's absolutely. I mean, 20 wins in the last two years, that stands on its own. But you're finally starting, I think you're starting to see some of the impact in the recruiting efforts right now. Right now, if you look on rivals, Pitt is ranked ninth in the country in the commitment football commitments right now. However, let I me mean, put a big however on that uh, in saying that this is June. A lot of big commitments will come way down the line that will put teams above them. But there's a lot of times where Pitt's, Pitt's ranked pretty high and this early in June. And it's been like 15th or 14th or 18th or something like that. And then when all the big teams make their moves, they're down in like the mid to high 20s, uh, you know, and they bump down. But if they're in this spot, there's going to be teams that jump above them and kind of get ahead of them in their recruiting rankings. But they won't be as far down there. And, again, rankings are just rankings. They're just on paper, just like how, you know, we grade NFL drafts and everything. But the, the amount of caliber guys that they're getting, they have a whole bunch of, I think they have 17 commitments so far. They have uh, 15 of those guys are, uh, are are three-star guys. Two of those guys are four-star guys. We're still getting confirmed on who else has been has, has accepted or, excuse me, uh, uh, commit, made a commitment to Pitt. Um, and, I mean, you look at the, the schools that are ahead of them right now, Clemson, Penn State, Ohio State, Oregon, LSU, Notre Dame, Michigan, Georgia, that's a good conversation to be in now. The teams that might pass them soon, you know, when they get their big name put put in, it's gonna be teams like Florida State, who's ranked at 12 right now. Florida is ranked at 14, Tennessee at 15, uh, Alabama at 19, South Carolina at 18. So, like those type of teams, they're gonna get probably get like a five star player or two, you know, pending on the school, and that's gonna change things. But again, Pitts still being in the conversation, and if they can keep rolling and do well here, I think that they're going to if they keep, if they can keep Playing well this year, get another nine-win season. You know, an impressive bowl showing. I think they can continue to ride this wave that they've created uh, since the ACC championship.
2: No question about it, uh, Chris. You look at the. You know, switching gears. You look at the Steelers. Obviously, um, you know they have. Do they have one more week of OTAs or no?
4: Well, so OTAs are, are done, but it's mini camp this week. So mini this is camp, like the last yeah. week of practice.
2: Right, minicamp, whatever we call it. I mean, they call it different things, but minicamp this week. um, You know, when you look at the Steelers, to me, the most important question is, who are going to be the five guys that constitute their starting offensive line when the season Mm -hmm. begins? You've obviously seen uh, their practices. You've watched the reps. Obviously, it's a little bit early, but do you have a good idea of who is going to be that five and if you think that group is going to be good enough? I think it's going to
4: be uh, Broderick Jones at left tackle, Isaac Siamalo at left guard, Mason Cole at center, James Daniel at right guard, and then Chuk for at right tackle. With Dan Moore Jr. as a swing tackle, Kevin Dotson and Nate Herbig as your swing guards, uh, that can kind of fill in. Uh, Kendra Green will be an interesting piece to see where the heck he goes, uh, you know, if he's, the, if he's the immediate backup center or how that develops. Uh, the one thing I say that they could split there is that if Dan Moore Jr. holds on to his spot. The thing is, Paul, is that, you know we've been impressed by Broderick Jones' athleticism there's been a lot of talk about how smooth he looks and how you know how he's he's going to be a, a bigger college player and he have all the athleticism you want at left tackle but at the same time we still haven't seen a lick of him with pads on against you know the Steelers in practice and that's what you want to see is how he performs when that happens and that's something you will never be able to know until training camp begins at Saint Vincent ben- ben- College out in Latrobe so I, I think that right now that's that's the starting five that I have because I just think Broderick Jones is going to be good enough to win that spot. Um, wouldn't be surprised at Dan Moore Jr. But I, I do think this is an offensive line that will be good for the Steelers. I don't think they're going to be like a top ten unit or anything like that. I do think that they're going to be in the upper half of the league as far as as far as how they block and uh, how they how they open up spaces for Najee Harris. I think they'll provide. Uh, solid pass protection for Kenny Pickett. I also think the Steelers are in a position with their tight ends and uh, the running backs that they have, um, including an H-back and Connor Hayward, if you kind of include him in that equation, I think they have enough guys that are good enough at blocking at other skill positions that they, if they wanted to protect Broderick Jones because he's struggling, you know, versus a Joey Bosa or a big name player out there, they have guys who are good at that, smart enough to do that and can be reliable. So I think they're in a pretty good position and maybe even in a better position that they have been in since maybe if we go back to like 2018.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing about it is um, to me, Chris, if the offensive line is good, I think every everything else is going to fall into place on the offense. It, be, it would mean that they're not going to rely too heavily on Kenny Pickett's uh, ability to, you know, to throw the ball. But I think also if they can run the ball – with authority because their offensive line is good, then they can basically pick and choose when Kenny gets to throw the ball. And if that's the case, boy, I I feel like this offense has a chance to really take the next step.
4: I agree with you, Paul. I think that they're in a position offensively to set the tone and keep people off balance. Uh, And that's something they haven't been able to do since they had, you know, the the killer bees all lined up. Even in 2018, when Le'Veon Bell wasn't there, James Conner was, was good but teams were able to we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna say hey we're just gonna we're gonna sit back and we're just gonna make, make sure that Antonio Brown doesn't kill us all the time and we're gonna make we're gonna try to you know make things harder for the passing game but when the Steelers have, have a legit running game that you have to fear it opens up so much more of the offense and Ben Roethlisberger even experienced that in the 2010s you know in 2012 and 2013 when he didn't really have a a consistent run game. It was tough to get things going consistently. And then it was 2014 when Le'Veon Bell hit his second year and hit his stride with that Steelers offensive line that got that formed into uh, a really great group that they were for several years. Uh, that was when the the whole offense started to open up. And you're right. You don't want Kenny Pickett throwing 400, 500 passes all the to- all season long, and you don't want to keep put him in a a tough position there. Uh, but I also think that one thing this offensive line will do, if they're protecting him better, he'll get to be able to sit in the pocket a little bit more. He'll get to be able to, to, to be comfortable in reading the field and not think I have to have my feet moving quickly because we're, we're not a team that's designed to give us, give us a lot of time in the pocket. So um, I think there's a lot of things that could really go well for them. One, the run game has to be there for them. They got to be able to open up space for Najee Harris, and he has to hit the holes. Um, I think two. They have to. If the, once that gets set up, they have to use play action. They have to get the ball down the middle part of the field to Pat Frymuth, Darnell Watson, Zach Gentry. They have to get the and they have to let their put their receivers get in space uh, because when teams, you know, when teams are playing playing and you look at George Pickens' lack of yards after catch, if you can get him out in space with, with and let him do, you know, get get the ball in his hands with one guy to beat. I think that he could become a real and even bigger problem for for defenses. And if they're spending so much time worrying about a good run game, you're going to get more one-on-ones and you're going to get more chances for Deontay Johnson to score a touchdown. I think, again, it all starts up front and if they do it the right way, the Steelers offense, Again, I'm not saying top ten, maybe not even top thirteen, but if they rank around that middle part, like fifteen, you know, anywhere around from from seventeen to fourteen, and that defense to the top five, youth the way I think they can be, that's a very competitive football team uh, going into 2023.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.